Because man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God, please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, we're going to look at verses 1 through 18 as we resume our series on the Sermon on the Mount. We preached through Matthew 5. It's been so long that you probably don't remember, but it was probably November or October we went through the we started going through the Sermon on the Mount. Now we're in Matthew chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in the chair in front of you. It looks like this. And um, so go ahead and grab that. And it's on page 859 going all the way to page 860. So page 859 to 860 in the Pew Bible, you'll find Matthew 6, 1 through 18. If this is your first time looking at a Bible, the 6 is the big number, the chapter number. And when I say verse 1 through 18, that's the small numbers. Those are the verse numbers. Here then, the Lord Jesus, in the middle of his Sermon on the Mount, speak to us today. In Matthew chapter 6, beginning verse 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father in heaven. So, whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Whenever you pray, you must not pray like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room. Shut your door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them because your Father knows the things you need before you ask Him. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive, the, if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive your offenses. Whenever you fast... Don't be gloomy like the hypocrites, for they make their faces unattractive so that their fasting is obvious to people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting isn't obvious to others, but to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May His word and the word of Christ dwell in us richly. Father, we pray now with our Bibles open before us that you would open our eyes to see wonderful things here in your word. We pray that you would not hide your commands and your insight and your wisdom from us, 
But as we call out for wisdom like gold and seek it like silver, as we hunger for your word like food, we pray that you would fill us. Apart from you, we can do nothing. And so, Lord, we admit here together that we will waste our time if your spirit doesn't come and open our hearts. So soften us, mold us, and shape us. We trust that you see us and you want to reward us. You want to answer our prayers. And so may your will be done here in this room as it is in heaven with joy and enthusiasm. And may your kingdom come and may your, your name be honored as holy here as we think about your word and our lives and our life together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Nobody likes a hypocrite. Part of the reason we don't like hypocrisy and hypocrites is because hypocrites have a wrong motivation and they have a wrong goal. Because they want to puff themselves up by their acting and control us with their hypocrisy and their fakery, it annoys us, it irritates us, and it's just distasteful. But we often like to be honored and applauded and approved by others as well. Hypocrites do. That's why they do their hypocrisy, to, to be approved and applauded by others. But even though we don't like hypocrites, we like approval as well. In some sense, we need approval. But in other sense, we can idolize approval and applause and being impressive to other people that the reason we, so much so that the reason we don't like hypocrisy is not just because we're principled and we just don't like hypocrisy, it's because we want the applause they're getting. We think we deserve it, not them. So it's not just a principled distaste for hypocrisy, it's a personal envy of the applause that they're getting that we think we deserve. And so even in our detestation of hypocrisy, we also have hypocrisy within ourselves in that midst. The person getting applause is getting what we think we deserve. Now, every person in this room, every person in this world wants to be liked and accepted by others. That's just a true human trait. We all want to be liked and accepted by other people. We want to be appreciated. We want others' approval. We even want to be honored. And that is a God-given desire. I would say that that's a reflection of the image of God in us. That's not necessarily a a distortion from the fall and from our sin nature. It actually is there's a, there's a godly, God-like desire for us to be honored because in humans being honored as image bearers of God, who gets the ultimate honor in that when it's the right honor? God does because it's our image, it's His image that we're bearing. And so there's a right desire to want to be honored and approved by others. But we know that that right desire often goes askew, right? And it often becomes self-centered rather than God-centered. It rather becomes self-exalting rather than Christ-exalting. It becomes selfish instead of for the glory of God and the spread of His goodness to other people. We have been influenced by bad examples of others who have a mentality of performing. One of the things that I think Ben even mentioned here, we talk about a community of grace or a community of performance. We have been raised, we're naturally raised in sinfulness to, to relate to each other. I'm going to call that culture. The way you relate to people is a culture. Okay, that's what culture is. It's not some tangible thing you write on a paper. It's the dynamics of relationships in one-on-one and in groups. So we grow up as sinners with a culture of performance, not a culture of grace. And because we grow up in a culture and community of performance, we want to impress each other. 
and perform for each other and hide the blemishes in our lives so that people think differently than what's really going on. And that's a problem. Do you ever feel overwhelmed by your concern and fear of what others think of you? Why am I so concerned with what other Christians think of me? Why do I fear what other people think of me? My coworkers, my family. What, what if my church, my church family and other close friends rejected me? What would happen if they rejected me? That is, that is a fear, and in some ways that could be a legitimate fear. But it can also destroy us. Jesus has a truth here in Matthew 6, 1 through 18 that will set us free from the need for others' approval, from the idolatrous, destructive need for others' approval. Matthew 6, 1 gives us the principle. Verses 2 through 17, fill out that principle with three examples. Look at Matthew 6, 1 again with me, and let's get the principle. And really, it's the main command of the whole section. Be careful not to practice your righteousness. There's the command. Be careful, beware, watch out, be alert. There's danger. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no, no reward with your Father in heaven. So what's the command? Practice your righteousness secretly. Not to impress other people or else you won't have a reward in heaven. Practice your righteousness privately for God's attention. Now, this Matthew 6, 1 through 18 is in the bigger Sermon on the Mount. So let me, and it's been a few months since we've been talking about the Sermon on the Mount. So let me remind you, what, let me give you an overview of the Sermon on the Mount briefly. If I was to summarize the, the message of the Sermon on the Mount, here's the, the introduction is, there's a type of person who shines for the kingdom of God. And they, they're poor in spirit, they're humble, they're peacemakers, they're persecuted, they're the light of the world, they're the salt of the earth. And they, they, they go for the surpassing righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. They want to actually surpass the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. So the main point of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, is seek the kingdom of God and surpassing righteousness so that you enter the kingdom of heaven. That's the main point of this, these three chapters, okay? Seek the kingdom of God and surpassing righteousness so that you enter the kingdom of God. In Pauline terms, we would say so that you obtain final salvation, not initial salvation of conversion, but final salvation of persevering all the way to the end of your life. Now, the way Jesus gets us to seek this, this kingdom and righteousness, he has, his sermon would be six points, or five points, and here would be his five points. Obey internally, you guys remember that, don't, if you, don't, mur don't just say don't murder, don't have anger. Don't just say don't commit adultery, don't lust. Don't just say um, don't swear oaths, or I mean swear by the temple, keep your word. Don't just love your friends, love your enemies. Obey inwardly, not just outwardly. That's his first point. His second point is, is our sermon today, practice righteousness privately. His third point, which we'll talk about in two weeks, is focus on eternity, not on the temporal. Focus eternally. The fourth point would be judge wisely. Don't be self-righteous in your judgment of others. Take the log out of your own eye before you look at the speck in your brother's eye. And then lastly, he closes with pray confidently because your father wants to answer your prayers. And then he closes his sermon with enter through the narrow gate. That's the only way you're going to enter this kingdom of heaven. You seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and you enter through the narrow gate. So that's the overview of the whole sermon. We're focusing today on that second point, which is practice privately. 
practice righteousness secretly if you're going to seek first the kingdom of God and obtain or and, and have surpassing righteousness to enter the kingdom of heaven. All right? You guys with me so far? You guys got the overview? We're going to jump in now. So the main goal of the sermon is this. Practice righteousness secretly so that you receive God's better reward. Practice your righteousness secretly, privately if you like. But I'm going to use the word secretly because that's what the text uses. Practice your righteousness secretly so that you obtain or so that you receive God's better reward. Because hypocrites and those who practice righteousness secretly, they both get rewards. But what you want is the better reward, and we'll talk about that in a second. So Jesus gives us three areas of righteousness to practice that we could evaluate our lives by this morning. You guys ready for these? First of all, it's giving. Second of all, it's praying. And lastly, it's fasting. So practice giving secretly so that you obtain God's better reward. Practice praying secretly so that you receive God's better reward. Practice fasting secretly so that you receive God's better reward. Those would be our three points for this morning. So let's go with point number one, give secretly for the better reward, verses two through four. Why should you give secretly? Look at verse two. So whenever you give to the poor, don't sound the trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. Let's stop there first. Let's just think through this as we go through. So when you give, you're giving to the temple in Jesus' day. There's a temple basket there. You drop your money in on your way in or out of the temple. And Jesus is saying, don't, don't do what? Don't sound the what? Don't sound the trumpet. Don't sound the trumpet don't do it to be seen by men. They would they'd sound the trumpet. So today, that would be like saying, hey, Aaron, can you grab your guitar and follow me? And whenever, once you see me drop the money in the plate, can you, can you do a few strums for me? Do a little riff on the guitar, you know, and sing my name real quick. That, that would be one way. Or in some churches, members bring tambourines, and they have tambourines in the, in the, in the audience. So, so maybe you have your tambourine, and as soon as you drop the money, you just shake it on your leg a few times, right? Just be like, oh, there's PJ. I guess he gave because I, I heard the tambourine go off again. Um, or it might be, I mean, these are showing, ways of showing off. It might be that when Jim and Jimmy come down the aisle and they're standing here to, get, to take the offering plate, that you stand right next to them. And then you pull your wallet and you start counting your bills, right, one by one. And then you, you, you put it very publicly into the plate so that people can see you. Or with our day with smartphones, perhaps we take a picture of our hand putting in the plate, Right? You take a picture, you put the check face up so they could see the, the check, maybe not your check number. You take a picture, and then you post it on your social media. Hashtag the Lord's Day. Hashtag more blessed to give than receive. Hashtag trust and obey. Hashtag God will supply all my needs. Right? You, you just publicize your giving so that people can see it, and then you get, you're looking for how many likes you get. How many people applaud you for your giving? Why? Why should you not do this? Why shouldn't you publicize your giving? Jesus gives us the answer here in verse 2. He says, True, they, they do this to be applauded by people. That's their motive. Truly, I tell you, they have their what? They have their reward. So why don't you want to do this? Because you'll get their reward. But, that's what, but what is the reward? What, what's their goal? They, they do this publicly to be what? It says here, to be what by people? To be applauded by people, right? They want to be applauded and cheered by people. That is their reward. If you do what they do, you'll get what they get. And that's their only reward. Applause from people. 
It's merely the, the being seen by others in a way that strokes your ego as, oh, you're so spiritual, or you're such a good person, or you're such a good Christian or religious person or a good citizen because you give to these nonprofit organizations. The reward of being seen by other people is an earthly reward. It is a fleeting reward, and it's a human reward. How satisfying is it to be applauded, applause, to have the applause of people? It is, it's satisfying initially. How long does it last? It's like candy, right? It's like trying to get full on a diet of candy. It doesn't last. And you need more and more of it to fill yourself up so that you can feel approved and good enough for the people around you. You need that next like. You need that online. You need that compliment. You need a few people looking up to you. You might get them looking up to you, but this is a puny and pathetic reward. It's like crack. It's, just, it's, it's like drugs. It's never enough. It's a, it's a temporary stimulus that goes away, and then you need more. Even by being, um, you know, we're, we're trying to revise our bylaws here, our constitution, to have elders and deacons and deaconesses, and so some can pursue these roles in the church as if they get a place of honor, and it is, in some ways, the office is an office of honor, and yet, if that's all you're doing it for, that's a pathetic, puny, and fleeting reward. The burden of ministry will, should, it doesn't always, but it should stamp away any kind of pretense in pursuing those types of offices in the church. At the end of the day, it's not just pathetic and puny and fleeting, it's a satanic reward. It's Satan tricking you. What's the alternative, though? Look at verse 3. But when you give to the poor... Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. What does that mean, to not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing? Don't, don't overthink it. Don't, don't think about the, you know, what, what people are seeing. Just, just give. You, you have a desire to give. You have an impulse to give. God puts that desire in your heart. Fulfill that and just give. Don't think, don't think about it. Don't overthink it. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Just do it. And don't do it for applause or anything like that. Just do it. And then he says... So that your giving may be in secret, if you think about it more, you might think about the applause and other wrong motives, and your father who sees in secret will what? What will God do? He'll reward you. So your reward is not the applause of people because nobody saw it. What's your reward? Or who's your reward from? Your father, God the father, and where is he in verse four? Father where? In heaven, or it doesn't say here, actually, sorry. Your father, who your father is in heaven, that goes later. But go to chapter 5, verse 12. What is this reward? Or where is this reward? Uh, I'm sorry, Matthew 5, verse 12. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is what? It's great, and where is it? It's in heaven. So going back to Matthew 6. What is the reward? This is my best guess at what the reward is. It's a reward from God the Father. We know that. And it's a heavenly reward, and it's, it's permanent, and it's great. So you can get the small, puny reward of a men's applause, or you can have, get a great reward from God. You can get a fleeting, temporary reward, or you can get an eternally permanent reward. You can get an earthly reward, or you can get a heavenly reward. You can get a human reward, or you can get a divine reward. That's what Jesus is saying. Go for the better reward. Give in secret and get the better reward. This is truly, this is where true happiness comes from. Because this is unlike candy that can't satisfy your hunger. This is a healthy, full meal of, of finding joy in God himself. 
when God draws near to you, when God draws near to you, even when no one else knows, that is truly satisfying. Not only is it satisfying to you, it's so satisfying that it actually makes you a, big, a bigger and better blessing to other people because you don't need their approval anymore. You're free to serve them because you don't need them to stroke, to stroke your ego, ego, right? You don't need them to approve of you. Now you're not, you're not chained by that. You're free to love them, truly, because God is satisfying you. And so Jesus says in Mark 10, 29 and 30, I assure you, here's where he talks about a reward. There is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters, mother or father, children or fields, because of me and the gospel. So you give all these things away. There's no one who's done that who will not receive a hundred times more. Now, at this time, you'll receive a hundred times more. Houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields. With persecutions, that's also part of the gift package. You get a hundred times more plus persecution, which is a gift. And you get eternal life in the age to come. Do you see how great this reward is? A hundred times more, not just in the future, a hundred times more when? Now. Right now. You give now in secret, and God gives you a hundred times more right now. Not in ways that are the health, wealth, and prosperity false gospel, but God will give you himself. He's the greatest gift of all. He gives you himself. In the act of giving, you're dying to the applause of men, and you are drawing near to God as you receive his grace through faith. And there is no reward greater than that. And then he gives you a church family with other people who don't want to be impressed by these things. And those friendships are deeper and more meaningful, right? Than the shallow relationships of just getting people who are impressed on the outside, on the surface of things. God will provide your needs. The reward right now is 100 times greater. And in the end, it's eternal what? Eternal life. It's permanent, brothers and sisters. Why would you settle for a cheap, quick applause that lasts three seconds or less, and then you're on to the next one. When you can have this hundredfold reward now, and in the end, eternal life. Do you remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 4, verse 32, to Acts chapter 5, verse 11? There's a story of two people in the church. So this is the beginning of the church. People are giving and giving and giving, and they're meeting each other's needs. The church is sharing their needs. I have a need. I got this problem in my life. I got this financial issue. I got this issue. And so they're sharing their needs. That's important for a church to share their needs. And then others are meeting the needs. They're, they're giving, and they're finding resources to meet the needs that are, that are being communicated. Okay? So in that, people are selling stuff, and they're giving to the church benevolence fund, so to speak, to give to people who have the needs. Well, all these people are giving, and so there's a peer pressure now to give, right? You're looking around like, oh, dude, everyone's giving. I need to give too. So Ananias and Sapphira are like, oh, that guy's, everyone's selling their houses apparently. We got some extra property. Let's sell that, and we could give that too. So they sell their property. This is Acts chapter 5, and they, say, they sell it. Let's just say, we don't have the exact number. Let's just say today they sell their house for $500,000, and they want to donate that to the cause. And they say, you know what, um, we sold our house for $400,000, here's 100% of what we, what we sold it for. And that's what they do. They, the husband, Ananias, comes in, Sapphira's off doing something else, Ananias is there, and um, so they donate, everyone's donating, here comes Ananias with his 400K, drops it there in the offering plate, and then um, he says, 100% of our sales. And then Peter says, you don't have to, you, he basically says, you didn't have to give 100%, you're free to do with it what you want, but why are you lying about it? You haven't lied to men, you've lied to the Holy Spirit. You've lied to God. And Ananias drops dead right there in the church gathering. He drops dead. His wife comes in three hours later. They, they, they take his body and they drag him out. 
His wife comes in three hours later, doesn't know anything that's going on. There's no social media, no, no cell phones, no, no communication. She just comes in, and they ask her, how much did you sell the property for? The, you guys gave 400000 that Was that what you sold the property for? And she says, yes. And then um, he says, why are you doing what your, your husband did? Why has Satan entered your heart? You're going to be just like your husband. She drops dead right there in front of everybody. Now, you probably have theological questions about people dropping dead. <laughs> the Bible does talk about that sometimes, taking communion unworthy, in an unworthy way. Um, we're going to take communion. And there's, there are things like that. That does happen. But the point here for our, t- our sermon today is that they wanted to impress people in making it look like they were giving 100% when they were giving, what is it, 80%? Four-fifths, right? They're giving four-fifths of it. So they're giving 80%, and they, they're acting like they gave 100%. And Peter says, you don't even have to give 100%. There's no law that you have to do that. You could have just gave 80% and said, here's 80%. It's not the fact of what you gave. It's your heart. It's your hypocrisy that you're doing it for applause of men. And that is evil before God. And your reward is small or like Ananias and Sapphira, you got no applause. You didn't even get applause. I mean, you didn't even get the literal reward, right? You got, you just got, you dropped dead. You're struck down. And if they're Christian, which we pray they are, then um, that was a mercy of God because now they're in heaven and forgiven. What's the application for us? Brothers and sisters, give secretly and give with gospel intentionality. Give secretly and give with gospel intentionality. Give generously, give sacrificially, give regularly, but give secretly. Make it a secret to give. Don't do it to show off. Don't think, don't overthink it. Resolve to give and resolve to give more and then just give. Church family, remember why you give to this church. Remember why we give to the general fund. It's not to show off to others or pat ourselves on the back. It's not to look at the back here and say, oh man, we're, we're $1,000 down, and then, and then to fill it up, and then say, oh, you, you know, hey, you know, you know who filled that up? You know who gave a little extra to, to make sure that turned black again? You know, don't, don't, don't give just to meet a goal. Don't give to boast. Give for the Great Commission to make disciples. Give to establish healthy churches. Give for the joy of drawing near to God and seeing others draw near to God with the effect of your giving. For the churches in general, not just this local church, but churches in general, Christians around the world, they need to beware of Christians and churches that tell you to give so that you can be healthy, wealthy, and prosperous here on earth, as if your trials go away. That is a false, satanic, damning gospel. It's not true. Don't give for your money return, though God will provide your needs. If you're not a Christian, you might be saying, you know what, PJ, this is exactly why I'd never be a Christian. Because Christians are a bunch of hypocrites. They say one thing, they live another way. If you're not a Christian for that reason, let me say, first of all, that I get it. No, I, we don't, no one really likes a hypocrite. Even the hypocrites don't like hypocrites. They just don't look in the mirror, right? So I get it. If, that, if you're saying, you know, Christianity and the church is filled with hypocrites, and that's why I would never be a Christian, first of all, let me say that that's a legitimate concern, and you're right to be frustrated and detest hypocrisy. But I would say that I think you would go too far and you'd be wrong if you'd, if you'd rejected Jesus because of it. You know why? Because Jesus hates hypocrisy too. And Jesus hates it more than you. And Jesus speaks against it. And not only that, Jesus dies for hypocrites so that they would be forgiven and changed. So if you are rejecting Christianity because of hypocrisy, I say it's a legitimate concern, but it's not enough to reject Jesus. I beg you to reconsider. Jesus is the only person, he's the only human who walked this earth who never sinned. He's the only one, in a sense, who's never been a hypocrite. 
So if you hate hypocrisy, go to the only person who's never been a hypocrite, Jesus Christ. Here's the good news. God knows our secrets. Isn't that good news, that God knows our motives? It feels scary at first that God knows everything about you, but it's freeing if you think about it long enough and if God gives you grace. God calls us to give so that we could be free from the bondage to materialism. Isn't that sweet of God? God doesn't want us to be chained by the love of money. No one can serve two masters. God wants you to be free from the tyrannical rule of money because he loves you. And he wants you to be free from the applause of men because he loves you. He loves seeing his glory in you. And that's why he's reminding us this morning. So again, brothers and sisters, friends, see through humanity's earthly, fleeting, and worst reward and practice giving secretly so that you receive God's heavenly, eternal, and better reward. That's the first practice, giving. Second practice is praying. The second practice is praying. Now, just so, to give you a heads up, we're not going to cover all of praying this week. We're going to take the Lord's Prayer, and we're going to focus on the Lord's Prayer next Sunday. So I'm going to mention a little bit about it, but you're saying, PJ, why are you skipping those verses? It's not because we don't believe those verses are biblical. It's because we'll cover a whole sermon on that next week, okay? But I want to focus right now on praying secretly, okay? The other one would be praying thoughtfully, which is what we'll talk about next week. But praying secretly. Practice your praying secretly so that you receive the better reward. Look at verse 5. Jesus says, whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Again, they're doing it to show off. Truly, they have their what? Their reward. It's earthly. It's fleeting. It's human. That's their reward. Brief applause, brief high, and then you're, you're back on your fiending for the next one. But Jesus suggests instead, verse 6, but when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Again, the reward here is the eternal, heavenly, divine reward. You get a hundred times more in this life. You pray to the Lord, and no one sees and no one gives you credit, and that's great. Because you draw near to God. And as you get off of the addiction to people's applause, you get stronger and stronger in your addiction, in your holy, righteous, healthy addiction to drawing near to God in prayer. And it's sweet. There's no one more satisfying, no one more wise, no one more humble, no one more majestic and, and, and condescending in all the right ways than God. He loves you. You not just the church as a whole, not just because you're part of the church. He loves you, and he wants to draw near to you. And part of the way he does that is to free you from the applause of men in your prayers. Pray privately, pray secretly. No selfies of you praying or selfies of your prayer closet with a hashtag, my knees hurt, hashtag, spirit is willing but the flesh is weak, hashtag, how can I pray for you? because I'm in the closet. Pray privately and secretly. God hears. Now, I'll just say a word about praying thoughtfully. 
even though we're not covering verses 7 to um, 15 now, praying thoughtfully is the second. Jesus actually expands this point and says, you should not just babble like the Gentiles do who don't believe in God or who don't know the truth of God. Pray thoughtful words. Here's actually some words to help you shape your thinking as you pray. Don't be superstitious as if praying a lot saves you or changes you. Just, just the frequency of it or the repetition of it. When I was a Roman Catholic, every day our family would gather together around in the evening and we would pray the rosary. And there'd be, what, is it five or ten Hail Marys before you get to the big bead? And the big bead is you pray in our Father who art in heaven. Then you go back to the small beads, you pray again five or ten more times, and you get to the big bead and you pray our Father again. We used to do that every day just because we had to do it. And we would, it would literally just sound like a mindless mantra, just over and over again. And, and that's, even though you're using Jesus... And the, the, prayer, the very prayer that says to, pre, to, te, to pray thoughtful prayers, we are praying thoughtlessly. And so Jesus warns us against that. He warns us against that. Now, Jesus was an example of prayer, was he not? Jesus prayed privately. In Mark 1, 35 and 36, Mark tells us this. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, went out, and made his way to a deserted place a secret place, a place that's just private for him and God. And he was praying there, and Simon and his companions went searching for him. They didn't even know where he was. He didn't even give them a heads up. I'm just, I'm, I'm gone. I'm here to pray with the Lord, with the Father. And you know who else was like, was Christ-like in that regard? Daniel. You remember Daniel in the lion's den story? Daniel chapter 6. They couldn't find anything wrong with him, and then they, they found Daniel's prayer, and here's the description of Daniel's prayer life in Daniel 6, verse 10, verses 10 and 11. When Daniel learned that the document had been signed, the law that you can't pray to any other God, he went into his house. Now, listen to this. The windows in it, in its upstairs room, opened toward Jerusalem. Solomon said with the temple that to pray towards Jerusalem. So he opened his window towards Jerusalem, like the scripture commands, and three times a day, he got down on his knees, prayed, and gave thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel petitioning and imploring God. Now, I just thought of an objection as I read this out loud. This is not even in my study. I just, as I'm reading it, but was it, isn't that praying in front of people? I mean, you're opening your window. Um, so my answer to that new objection that just came in my mind is, um, well, if you're praying, one, he's obeying God by praying to Jerusalem. He could have had the windows closed. He has his windows open. Maybe he's doing it as a way of, of witnessing. But here's how we know that it's not hypocritical. Because when the law was passed, what did he do? He prayed anyways. Is he doing it for the applause of men? No, because he's willing to go to a lion's den for prayer. Okay? So before you get quick in judging Daniel, just know he's clearly not doing it for the applause of men because he's putting his life on the line to pray. But the point here is he prayed regularly. He prayed consistently. He prayed not for the applause of people. He prayed to God because he loved communing with the Father in heaven. So if you're not a Christian, here's some good news for you. God knows what you need, and God can hear your prayers. Here's the catch, though. God calls you to pray to him in the name of Jesus. If you're not a Christian, you're not a Christian because you don't believe in Jesus. You haven't repented from your sins and trusted in Christ alone for your salvation. And therefore, you're not united to Jesus. You're not in Jesus. And in that sense, you can't even pray in Jesus' name because you haven't received him. And yet, God is telling you even this morning that you can pray in his name. If you would repent from your sins and trust in Jesus even now, then God would forgive you of your sins and hear your prayers. I mean, in, in look, at, look at chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. At the core of praying is forgiveness, 
or, or the root of the source of praying is forgiveness. Look at verse 14. For if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will what? Forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your Father in heaven will not forgive your offenses. Here's the point that I want to make right now in prayer, is that to pray, you need God's forgiveness. And forgiveness only comes through Jesus, the Messiah, because Jesus is the only one who never sinned against God. You and I are both sinners, and the wages of sin is death. We deserve hell and damnation for our sins. Even our sins today, we deserve to be in hell forever. And God holds us accountable because he made us in his image. But God sent his son, Jesus, who never sinned and prayed never to impress anyone. He sent his son, and yet he never sinned. He died for your sins. He dies for sinners, and he rises from the dead. So that if you would repent from your sins and trust in Jesus Christ, you would be forgiven of your sins. You can pray in Jesus' name, and the Father would love to commune with you. He wants you right now. He would love to commune with you now if you would just turn from your sins and trust in Jesus Christ. Christians call this message the gospel. And we want you to know and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ that you would have a relationship with God this morning. If you have any questions about that, you can ask me at the door right here on the way out. I'll be right back there. I'd love to talk to you, answer questions about it, or you can ask any Christian friend who brought you here this morning. If a member of this church can answer the question, can you answer the question, members? If you can't, they'll find someone who can, who can help. What does this mean for our church family? Pray to God privately. Pray to God thoughtfully. Pray to God meaningfully. And what that means, if you're going to do this well, brothers and sisters, you need two things in your life. You need structured and spontaneous prayers. Or let me just say this. You need scheduled and spontaneous prayers. You need both. Don't believe the hype that everything spontaneous is good and everything scheduled is bad. That is not true. And you know why it's not true? Because you sleep at the same time, generally speaking, every night. And that's good for your body. That's good for your life, that you're not just spontaneously sleeping whenever you feel like it, right? <laughs> that, just, that just wouldn't work. Schedules are good, but if you only did things that were scheduled, a spontaneous nap is good every so often, all the adults say, amen, right? Um, but, but spontaneity and schedule, is, they're both good. They both have a purpose, and so it is with prayer. You need scheduled times of prayer, just like you have scheduled meals, and then you snack sometimes, Right? Maybe you do. And so you have the spontaneous as well as the scheduled. In, in any relationship, if I only talk to my wife during scheduled times, and it's like she, she wants to ask me something, I'm like, I can't talk to you right now. It's not on our schedule right now. That wouldn't make for a healthy marriage, right? And if we only spoke spontaneously and we never set aside time to spend time together, that would also, that would also wither away our marriage. You need both. And if you want to have a relationship with God, you need scheduled and spontaneous times. And make your scheduled times secret times. Not to show off to others your schedule, but for you and the Lord to privately meet with them. But structure is okay. Schedule is okay. And I say that because I know some of the members here have an issue, which is okay. I mean, it's sort of okay. It depends on how much you make an issue. That some people write their prayers when we pray up here. One of the reasons we write prayers is because we believe the Spirit can lead you not only when you're up here praying, but also when you're writing. Do you believe that? The Spirit can actually guide you while you're writing as well, not just when you're up here? That's number one. Number two, we want to make sure that we're thoughtful up here and not wasting anyone else's time as we meander in our prayers. So that's why we have some preparation when we pray. All right, what does this mean for a church family? Church family, pray for each other. Church family, pray for 
each other individually. Pray for us as a church family and what God's doing in our lives together. And pray, um, pray together as well. Come to the prayer meetings. We have prayer meetings every Sunday night. If the church's health is dependent on our corporate praying, then our church is a very unhealthy church, quite frankly. We do have some people who pray regularly, but we don't have, the, the, we don't have by and large, the majority of people praying. And so um, we would ask, I would ask, if you're a member of this church, to reconsider your priorities. Reconsider your nap times. Reconsider your week and figure out a way to make it to Sunday night prayer time so that we can gather together and pray. Not to show off, not just because PJ Seddon is giving a guilt trip, but to commune with God and for God to answer our prayers together. Here's the good news. Here's a good news statement. God hears and responds to sinners like us. Isn't that sweet? God hears and responds to sinners like us. He not only loves us and rewards us, God loves to commune with us. Isn't it crazy that God is excited to talk to you and to hear from you? He's enthusiastic in spending time with you in prayer. So let's go to the God of the universe, not for earthly, human, fleeting rewards, but for the divine, heavenly, eternal reward, the better reward of drawing near to God in prayer. All right, so we say give secretly for the better reward. Secondly, we say give or pray secretly for the better reward. And thirdly, fast secretly for the better reward. Now, if my life is any indication of our church's practice of fasting, we don't fast a lot. <laughs> That's a personal confession here. We probably don't fast a lot as a church family. So let me define what fasting is. Well, let me read the verses first, and then we'll go. Look at verse 16. Chapter 6, verse 16. It says this. Whenever you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites, for they make their faces unattractive so that their fasting is obvious to people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. What is fasting? Fasting is not fasting from some meals, like I'm fasting from soda, but I'm drinking a lot of water and still eating. That's not fasting. That's dieting, and that might be strategic in other ways for health. That's not spiritual fasting. Fasting is avoiding meals altogether, at least in the, the way the Bible uses it. It's, it's avoiding meals altogether for the purpose of focused prayer, des focused, desperate prayer and petition to God. That's what fasting is. So it's a spiritual time of focus, and if you have a hard time focusing in prayer, you might want to fast, because part of the reason is we, we are so quick to fill our desires when we feel it, that if you get distracted by anything, and you want to pray, but you're distracted by something, if you're so used to always fulfilling your desires, then you'll fulfill that desire, and you won't pray. So fasting is another way of focusing, because every time you feel hunger, you say, God, give me a hunger for you instead of a hunger for food, and you keep going back to that prayer request or that thing you're seeking God for. So that's what fasting is, okay? They did it um, to foster self-humiliation before God in connection with confessing sin or some special petition before God. Should Christians fast today? You know, there's no command in the New Testament letters. So think from Romans all the way to Revelation. There's no command in these letters to fast, which is one of the reasons it's not as practiced as giving and praying. But should Christians fast today? My answer is yes. My, now, if you ask the question, is a, is a Christian sinning if they're not fasting today? My answer is no. So when I say should, I'm not saying commanded to. I'm saying it's a good idea, and it's wise, and it's beneficial. Why, why do I say that? I think Jesus sort of expects us to fast. I don't say it as a command, but I say Jesus expects us to fast. Why do I say that? Listen to Matthew 9. You guys are in Matthew, so just turn to the, to the right. Matthew 9. Go to the right. Matthew 9, 14 and 15. Read it for yourself. Check if I'm telling the truth here. 
Matthew 9, 14, uh, Matthew writes, Then John's disciples came to Jesus and said, or saying, Why do the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Ah, there's my proof, PJ. I don't need to fast. Jesus' disciples don't fast. So I don't need to fast because I'm a disciple of Jesus. Well, you need to read on before you say that. Look at verse 15. Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests be sad? That's what fasting is. You're sad, you're hungry, you're feeling a need, you're feeling a loss. Can wedding guests be sad while the groom is with them? The time will come when the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will what? Then they'll fast. Why shouldn't they fast? Because the groom is here. Now, in Jesus' point there, who's the groom? Jesus is the groom, and he's there. I'm here. While I'm here, it makes no sense to fast because you're fasting because you're longing to commune with God, and here I am. So don't fast. Just spend time with me. Just talk to me. But there is a time when the groom will be taken away. Is Jesus on earth today, physically? No, he is here spiritually. He's here right now in this body of Christ. He's not here physically. Jesus is not here today. We're going to take communion. We don't believe the bread becomes the body of Jesus. That's a false doctrine. Jesus is not here physically. So what is Jesus expecting? When the groom is not here, my disciples will what? Fast. That's why I tell you, and I say this to my own conviction because I, don't, I can't remember the last time I fasted. I tell you so that we could all grow in this as a church family. Um, Jesus expects us to fast because the groom is not here. Longing for the second coming. Longing for Christ to come again. Longing for God's work in our lives. Now, so I'm commending and, and encouraging you to fast, but Jesus' instruction in, John six, in Matthew 16, verse 16, is don't fast like a hypocrite. How do, how do hypocrites fast? They're gloomy, and they make their faces unattractive. I am so hungry. Oh, man. How are you guys doing? Can I, can I have lunch with you? But I don't want to eat with you. I just want to just be there. I'm so hungry. Oh, why? Well, I'm fasting, you know, <laughs> waiting for the applause, right? Did I hear a little, little applause? Jesus is saying, don't, don't be like the hypocrite. That's your reward. If you want to impress people, you get the cheap reward of impressing people, that puny, pathetic reward. But don't do that. Instead, what should you do in verse 17? When you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting isn't obvious to others. In other words, hide your fasting. Don't lie about it, but don't, don't put it out there. Don't do it for men's applause. Don't do it to be seen by people. And your father who sees in secret will what? He'll reward you. There, there's the blessing. So, so, so long for God in fasting. Take seasons or a day a week or a day a month and, or a, a meal, one meal a month and fast and long for the second coming of Christ. Do you know that the early church did fast? Even though it's not commanded, it is, it, it is shown in the book of Acts. Let me show you a, a passage in the, in the book of Acts. Acts 13, 2 and 3, it says this. And they were ministering to the Lord and fasting. And, when, and as they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work I have called them to. Then, they, then after they had fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them off. And then Acts 14, 23. When they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Okay, just from these two examples, let me give you ways we could be fasting today. What about fasting when we are about to take, uh, when we're about to discuss and vote on a new constitution? Maybe we should fast. What about when we're about to appoint, appoint elders, or we're considering nominating elders for the church, pastors for the church? Maybe we should fast. What if it's, what if we're sending a new city group to another city, and we want to bless them and encourage them as they try to make disciples together in their city? Maybe we should fast. 
What if we're sending a, a, a new intern from our church off to another church or we're transferring another member to another church because God is moving, you know, like we have the Carreras who moved from here to another state. Maybe we should fast for them and pray for them and send them off, not just with, oh, yeah, we love you, a few emails, but maybe we should actually fast a meal for them and pray for them, have a devoted hour where the whole church family, generally speaking, is fasting and praying for that member. Wouldn't they feel loved? And wouldn't God answer our prayer in some way for their good? He would, right? So I just want to point out to you that there are lots of reasons, lots of opportunities to fast. You have a big decision in your life? Take fast and pray to the Lord and ask other members maybe even to fast and pray with you. If you're not a Christian, here's the point. Some things are so important that you actually have to give up food so that you can focus on what's really important. And as if you're not a Christian, I'm going to guess that part of the reason you might not be a Christian is you haven't taken the time to really examine who Jesus is. In other words, you've been distracted. If you take away these distractions, even food, to really focus on who Jesus is, Jesus will show himself to you if you seek him in his word and you pray. So I would encourage you to do that. If you're a Christian, we need to fast sometimes. You know who else fasts? Jesus. Listen to Luke 22, 17 and 18. He took the cup after giving thanks and he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I tell you, from now on, Luke 22, 17 and 18, from now on I tell you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until I drink it with you in the kingdom. Is that crazy? Jesus is fasting right now. He's not drinking until he comes and ends it all and he brings all his people into the kingdom here on earth. Isn't that sweet? Why don't we fast for the second coming? The, the bridegroom's not here. He's fasting. Why don't we join him in fasting for the kingdom of God to come? I would encourage you, brothers and sisters, to do so and realize that Jesus is fasting because he wants you. He longs for us to be together with no more sin, no more curse, no more pain. He longs for it, and he fasts for it, and we should too, and we should do it secretly, not to show off in front of other people. Church family, it's likely that I will be calling our church, generally speaking, not requiring, but calling for fasts as we work through the Constitution, uh, the new confession of faith, our new, uh, new pastors that we might be nominating and appointing or deciding on in our church. I will be calling for fasts, and I want to encourage you and even get you ready now to prepare to fast together as a church family when God calls us to these important decisions. If you're not a Christian, I just want to remind you that Jesus, Jesus died for you and wants you to know him, and he wants you to be rid of distractions so that you might know him. God graciously responds when we focus our minds on him, even getting rid of meals to focus on him. So to summarize, see through, earthly, see through humanity's earthly, fleeting, and temporary worse reward. And instead, practice righteousness secretly. Give secretly. Pray secretly. And fast secretly so that you receive God's heavenly, eternal, and better reward. Now, if we're honest and we just look in the mirror for a second, we know that we have not practiced righteousness with purity, have we? With the pure motive of merely seeking God's glory and not impressing other people. Even when we do desire God's glory, we have mixed motives so that it can, so that it can be truly said what Jesus said of the, of the hypocrites in Matthew 15, 8. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. This pastor honors me with his sermon, but his heart is far from me. 
These people honor me with their giving, but their hearts are far from me. They honor me with their attendance, but their hearts are far from me. They honor me with their prayers, with their words, but their hearts are far from me. They honor me with their fasting, but their hearts are far from me because their hearts are tied partially to the impressing other people. We have not practiced righteousness with pure motives, but there is someone who has. There's someone who has come to fulfill all righteousness and surpassing righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. Jesus gave himself. Did Jesus give secret? Jesus gave himself on the cross And did he get any applause? He got abandoned. He got mocked. He got shamed. He got murdered. He gave himself, and no one applauded him. No one approved of him. Not even his disciples. Remember Peter rebuking him and saying, you will not go to this cross. Over my dead body is the king of Israel going to go to the cross. Even his closest disciples didn't approve or applaud him as he gave himself secretly, not for man's applause, but for God's glory. And what about praying? Did Jesus pray for man's applause? When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he begged his disciples to pray with him, and yet he's there praying all alone. And these disciples are sleeping on him, and they're about to abandon him. No approval for your prayer life, Jesus. And yet even today, Christ prays for us. This is the sweetness of who our God is, who our Christ is. So, brothers and sisters, I call you to delight in giving, delight in God, not in people, not in approval of others. Delight in God. Find your joy in God as you give and as you pray and as you fast. This is the only way, brothers and sisters, for you to enjoy God, and this is the only way that you're going to disciple other members to delight in God and not in human approval. If we delight in the praise of men and women, then we will disciple others to delight in the praise of of men and women, right? We're discipling people in this church all the time. We're influencing each other. We will belittle and dishonor God if we don't get this right. So delight in God in your praying, fasting, and giving. If you don't, you will have the applause of some people. You will influence others to live for the applause of other people. And most importantly, you will not receive a heavenly reward. You will, you will not find yourself to be a true Christian. You're a hypocrite. But if you will repent and delight in God in your giving and praying and fasting, you will please God. You will lead others to the joy and freedom of pleasing God and not being enslaved to the applause of other men and women. And you will receive your heavenly reward, which is and all the affirmation, approval, and honor you will ever need. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. God exalts you as you humble yourself before Him. God exalts you. It's not even bad to seek exaltation. God will exalt you as you humble yourself before Him and let God exalt you in a way that glorifies Him in you and not you apart from Him. Hypocrisy has its reward. Pathetic passing praise. Worshiping also has its reward. Perfect, powerful and permanent praise. So if you go hypocritically, you get pathetic passing praise. If you worship with authenticity and vulnerability, you get perfect, powerful, and permanent praise from God. So brothers and sisters, I say it one more time, practice righteousness secretly in order to deeply enjoy God. God the Father is excited to reward us who are united to Christ as we seek His face. Let's pray together.
I'll give you a moment to pray and then I'll close. Father, forgive us for our hypocrisy and seeking the approval of others, even if it's just one other person who's not you. Forgive us for seeking your approval partially, but also allowing part of our desire to be applauded and approved by others. Thank you for Jesus who died for us. Thank you for Jesus who fasts for us who prayed for us and prays for us and who gave himself for us with no applause of men when he gave himself. We praise you and we thank you. We pray that you would change us deeply from the inside out and do it to us together. And we pray for our non-Christian friends here, those who are not yet Christian. We ask that you would show them the freedom and joy of knowing you through Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.